Africa Rising, and it was once used to describe the pace of growth and development on the African continent. But is that narrative changing from a continent that's rising to one that's tilting? That phrase I borrowed from Africa and Middle East economist with Bloomberg, Mike Boland, who joins us on the line from London. Mark, thanks for your time. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So your report looks at the collapse of oil prices and its impact on African economies. Perhaps I can ask you to set the scene for us. What's happening in this space? Well, the theme is that uh, I think there are two factors that is going to drive growth in the short and medium term in Africa. The first is the impact of lower oil prices. Of course, this has been seen as, as a heavy blow to the entirety of Africa, but the fact is that the majority of countries in Africa, among them South Africa, but primarily in East Africa, actually benefit from lower oil prices because they import all their oil and energy is a large part of their costs. So that if oil fuel costs are lower, they have more money to spend on other things, and that should be a boon for the economy. But of course, in in the case of South Africa and other countries in Southern Africa, you have the impact from uh, from mineral prices, which of course have also dropped lower, although not uh, quite as sharply as as oil prices. So, so when you say the narrative could be changing from from Africa rising to Africa tilting, what are we tilting towards and away from? Yeah, so this is Africa tilting towards the east because you have it's mainly economies in East Africa that are are oil importing to a higher degree than in West and Central Africa. We have Nigeria, Angola, and the Republic of Congo are big oil exporters. But another factor that I take up in this report is uh, is debt. Uh, and a lot of countries across Sub-Saharan Africa have used the, uh, or since the debt relief operation by the MF World Bank and other donors in the late 90s and, and the uh, throughout the noughties are that lowered their debt quite significantly but a lot of countries are now back up at or even in some cases above the levels they were at before debt relief by uh, accessing the eurobond market but also borrowing from china and other sources and other you know commercial debt sources uh, but the difference has been that uh, in countries like ethiopia they uh, yeah, they uh, inaugurated a brand new uh, Addis Ababa light rail system in the capital last year. They're also inaugurating a, a new rail line to the port of Djibouti and the hydropower stations in Kenya. You're also building a new railway, a geothermal power station coming on. So they're borrowing money for mm. what should be productive investments that drive growth. Mm. But in other countries, I think Ghana and Zambia are the best example of these. The uh, I've also borrowed very heavily, but it's primarily gone to expand the public sector. You had a sort of public sector pay reform scheme in Ghana that went out of control. And I think it's also significant that uh, Ghana and Zambia have had among the most competitive elections in sub-Saharan Africa in the last few years, and both are going into elections this year in August in Zambia. So perhaps we, we can... We, we, we can Perhaps we can look at that a little bit further, Mark, because, you know, you make this argument that governments are borrowing more, yes, and they are investing in, in public uh, infrastructure projects using Chinese financing, but, but they're also boosting their government's chances to win highly contested elections by, by borrowing this money and expanding the public sector. Where do you see this happening? And, and bearing in mind, we have an election coming up here in South Africa. Yes, and this is 
slightly counterintuitive. I mean, normally it's seen that uh, democratization is positive, you're moving towards a more democratic regime, but unfortunately there is this pork barrel politics, which uh, is not only the case in Ghana and Zambia, but those are the most egregious examples. I can't say to what extent this will be the case in the municipal elections in uh, in uh, South Africa, but I think this does, uh, sort of a comparison you can make is with China and India, where of course India has been a lot more democratic than China for a very long period, but China has been more effective in investing in infrastructure. I mean, that's why uh, they are still very competitive in manufacturing, even though wages have gone up very sharply. It's just that they do have this world-class infrastructure, which India does not have, unfortunately. So that is kind of the parallel you can draw between some more democratic countries like Ghana and Zambia and the less democratic countries like Rwanda and Ethiopia that have made stronger headway in, in infrastructure investment.